Hi everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm your host, Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and this episode is taken from the ninth session of the Keeping the Dream Alive series of webinars, which we're collaborating on with the World Tourism Association for Culture and Heritage and My Travel Research. This episode is entitled, So What's Your Go-To Market Strategy? And this is the Q&A session which follows the keynote. Luke Donkin is a commercial director at Tourist Tracker and has more than 17 years professional experience working with search engine marketing, data and technology companies. Passionate about the industry, Luke values insight, creativity and technology in equal measure, ensuring an innovative approach to developing data and technology-led strategic solutions. Luke's presentation explored the challenges of travel marketing during the COVID-19 recovery phase and how data and technology can help brands to create seamless customer experiences across all media channels and devices. Luke's session will focus particularly on personalization within the booking process and how to follow that up with a traveler experience while consuming the end product. Enjoy. Perfect. Thanks a million for that, Luke. Uh, really, um, really interesting stuff to sort of dig through and, and pick over there and um, obviously would invite the audience at this stage to um, to start uh, putting in their questions um, generally speaking look there, there's there's a lot of uh, data out there there's there's more than the, the, than we've ever had previously um, what should people be looking for in a data set to start their recovery process um, you know on a budget you're talking about you know cheap data is is, is worthless data you know, people are on a budget, they haven't got huge amounts of cash to spend. What should they be looking for in terms of data? Well, one thing you have to look at is who was converting on your product previously? And we need to really delve into that, right? Who was our target audience? And a lot of the time we look at who our target audience is and it's made up of what we believe it is rather than looking at the analysis that we can have. Uh, there's age ranges in there that we'll be able to take away. There's origins that are in there. And there needs to be also uh, a an idea of what you want to target. If you've got a product which, you know, let's take accommodation uh, for an example. If you're looking to, in the recovery phase, to have people pay more and stay longer, we need to look at who paid more and stayed longer previously and start building models out from there. Once we have those attributes, then we can start to look at the data vendors out there and work out which data set is gonna be best for us. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I've got this uh, property and it needs to be full all the time. What we wanna do is get people paying at the highest possible yield point for us and staying for the longest possible time. We need a data vendor that can find those people based on the analysis we've done of our previous customer base to be able to therefore enable us to convert those new customers. Yeah, so, so a huge amount of this really is is knowing who your key customer base is first and knowing the profile of that customer base and then getting the most appropriate data provider and data sets uh, that, that will allow you to target them, I suppose, in a more personal way. Exactly. And when we start yeah. to talking about personalized ways as well, it's not just that, okay, we understand this target audience. It's going to be all one call to action or all one creative. I really do encourage brands to test, A-B test against different data sets, see what's working best, optimize on the fly. All of this can be done fairly simply through utilizing technology platforms. Now, 
they're not necessarily a barrier to entry, but I know that they can be daunting to a lot of advertisers. So making sure you know a brief understanding of those particular technologies so that you can implement things like dynamic creative optimization to get the most impact from your marketing dollars is going to go significantly further for you than leaving it up to someone else to say that we've got the best data set for you and give us the creative and off we go. Fair point. Um, I was really interested when you were talking about your barley example. Um, and I think, look, many of us uh, on this particular session have had similar circumstances. Um, and I'm just sort of thinking to myself, as you were going through your circumstance, I was thinking, I've been there before as well. Uh, and, and it's massively frustrating because in many ways, the, the, you know, the hotel part of the, of the traveler journey, you know, it does seem to be broken. And, and I was sort of reflecting really, as you were talking about, you know, the, the amount of data that the, that the hotel groups have got and the different hotels uh, that they don't seem to use. You know, when I'm booking a hotel, you know, whether it be Bali or anywhere else, um, you know, I give them my name, my address, email, uh, credit card, because, you know, need to take a deposit and everything else. And as soon as I rock up, you know, jet lag to hell, the first thing I have to do is fill out exactly the information which they've already received. And it's and it's massively frustrating. Is there a challenge with um, with a lot of organizations actually not using the data that they've got already efficiently? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the big things with this is, OK, it drives a lot of wastage. If I know all of this about my previous customer base, if I can communicate with these uh, customers on a one to one level at the cheapest possible uh, way, which might be through a, 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 a direct mail, electronic direct mail or something like that. Why is it that I'm then putting money aside for someone to go out and prospect these clients over and over again? Being able to utilize that information, be able to therefore personalize the EDM that goes out so that it's not just a one size fits all, being able to communicate at a reasonable level that doesn't come across as creepy with these particular uh, customers or previous customers because you know so much about them is so critical for you and will be, you know, one would think, the first step in a COVID recovery marketing plan moving forward. But making sure that it's not just a single blast of the same offer or the same call to action or the same information to every single client is critical because the engagement you will receive will be significantly higher if you segment that up, you have different offering, even if it's different call to action for the same offer or the same product, you will get a greater return based on engagement from that particular own base that you wouldn't need to then go out and prospect again. So utilizing that data set is gonna be absolutely critical. Then being able to do incremental sort of washes, and this is something that you can do down the path. If you've got a CRM database and someone wants to sell you a data set and they say it's you know, transparent and all that type of stuff, being able to wash and rinse out the audience that you're already talking to so that you're only buying incremental uh, reach, that's gonna be useful for you as well. And everyone should be doing that. Again, comes across as a slightly daunting task, but it's really not that difficult once you get your head around it. And it will ensure that you're constantly filling the top of the funnel to make sure you're increasing your known audience so that therefore you can communicate with these people on an ongoing basis. And then um, you talked in the, um, in the about uh, GDPR um, and the importance of GDPR. Just for anybody that's that's watching this that isn't as familiar with GDPR, just give us an overview of what, what GDPR is and, and why do we need to know about GDPR? So GDPR is the General Data Protect, uh, Privacy uh, Regulation 
that came out of the European Union. Uh, and it's the reason for anyone that, ha that hasn't heard of it before, you might have noticed about 12 months ago, every brand on earth that you've ever communicated with sent you an email saying they'd updated their privacy statement. Um, it's essentially a legislation that makes sure that the data that is uh, collected by brands is used ethically and used in a way in which uh, ensures uh, privacy of the individual and can only be utilised with explicit um, uh, uh, permissions of that particular individual. Uh, now, not being uh, a lawyer myself, uh, I, I wouldn't give any sort of legal advice on this other than to say that it's something that you definitely have to be aware of uh, in 2020. It's going to become more apparent over different regions throughout the world as more governments start to bring in general uh, data privacy regulation. Uh, there is one in California at the moment that's being enacted. There's probably going to be one in Australia and New Zealand, I would say over the next two, three years, uh, but it will spread around the globe. As long as you're adhering to the most stringent regulation, which at the moment is GDPR, uh, you'll be absolutely fine in any market you work in. Fair point. Um, good for everyone to know. Uh, right, some questions starting to come through now, Luke. Um, how do you feel about using digital behaviour and how would this impact my marketing dollars? So digital behaviour is absolutely something uh, that I would be utilising. And when I was talking about um, the first party data sets previously, um, I kind of said that there was, you know, I use loyalty IDs, oh, sorry, loyalty programs, um, but I matched that with digital behaviors as well. So if I've got Luke sitting here, uh, who's in five or six loyalty programs, because you know we call them loyalty programs, but you've got about five or six on the go at any one time. Um, what we really need to do is uh, layer that with intense digital behavior. So has Luke been to this airline's website and searched for a flight to which destination? Or has Luke been to a hotel's site and searched for a room on a X particular night? Utilizing that intent data and that digital behavior is critical to know when someone is actually in market. It sort of goes to that point uh, I was saying around verification. It's great to have someone who travels regularly, but if you don't know that they're in market right now, are they the lowest hanging fruit? Are they the most valuable target for you right this second? Is that is that um, and again I think you touched on this in the in the presentation with regards to um, using data for tourism dispersal. You know, you, I think the example you gave was was Adelaide, and you know you you know how many people or you know we can find out how many people arrived into Adelaide, and the key question is you know wh where do they go from there? So is that is that as well used for I suppose market share information? So if you're a hotelier or a some kind of a tourism operator in South Australia, would you gain some semblance using the, the these kind of data sets as to, and it's, it was through mobile uh, data, wasn't it, I think, right. um, you'll get an understanding of what your market share is. So if you've got a property in South Australia and you know the profile of the clientele which you usually get um, and, you know, competitors, would you, would you, do you use that for market share? Is that how that can be utilised? You can, you definitely know uh, who's moving into your region. And you can work it base, back based on, you know, your bookings or, or whatever it might be to figure out that market share piece. But uh, one thing I would say is that it also gives you an indication of how popular your region is uh, on what the average spend is to your region and what the average length of stay is to your region. So if your clientele are coming in and only staying one night, but what you're seeing is uh, the average length of stay for your region being three nights, there's an opportunity for you immediately to increase 
uh, the number of nights stayed, reduced the number of, um, uh, of actual visitors or guests that you have, but in turn, that should hit your bottom line in a positive way because you're not turning people over on every day and they're given more opportunity to actually spend money whilst they're actually consuming the product. Yep, super. Um, back to the questions. Um, question, Luke, your Bali hotel example indicated the right approach by that brand for your needs there. Was this done at the hotel level, do you know, from the booking system you used, e.g. OTA travel agent, or did it come from a brand corporate action? If local, that was always possible with ancient systems that has ARR and departure times, arrival and departure times, but it would be good to know who pulled the right lever for you. And that's from Kevin Murphy. Yeah, so there's a, a number of players out there that have deterministic data sets, right? In Australia, um, you have your Adaras, you have your Sojourns, you have your tourist trackers. Uh, it all depends on uh, who or, or what makes up their data set. So in the instance that I was traveling, I was traveling on uh, an Australian carrier. So it was one of the players that had that particular data set. Now, the hotel, and I spoke to I spoke to the marketing guy there, that's why I know this. It's not like I could pick this up from actually being served the ad, but I was quite interested to find out how he'd actually managed to target us and whether that was uh, intentional or just by random chance. And it was intentional. And basically what they said was they were looking to service the Australian um, uh, traveller coming to Bali. Uh, they wanted to make sure that they could take a, a, offer a, a, a point of difference and so that they were utilising... Uh, one of those data players within the market, um, and it was incremental. I'd never engaged with this property beforehand. So they were actually, because they served me that ad, I then went and converted on their website. Um, the ARR and all of that information is possible, but I understand that the latency that comes with that, and that goes back to my third point of it needs to be activated in real time, uh, being able to understand that someone's booked a flight within the last 24 hours but has not booked accommodations means that you know you've got a bleeding neck to sort of purchase that particular product there and then and that's what these data providers do because it it's activated in real time it's delivering up the audience that you need or the audience that is uh, appropriate for your product and being able to do that enabled them to convert me right there and then within 24 hours of booking the flight yeah, slick. Um, question come in from uh, Damien on WhatsApp. Um, are you able to accurately determine the ROI on your advertising dollars, uh, as this would be a massive advantage in planning future marketing activity? Yeah, absolutely. So you are able to accurately uh, determine it based on, um, I guess, the data providers that you have out there. No one player has 100% coverage of every accommodation vendor or every airline or every car rental company or whatever it might be. But what you need to do is be able to see uh, the impact that your marketing or media has had on, um, you know, at scale and be able to extrapolate that out over your entire media plan. So if you're only getting sort of 20%, uh, I guess, analysis over the marketplace, you're not necessarily going to be able to extrapolate that out to 100% to say, well, my return on advertiser spend is going to be 10 to 1, 20 to 1. Um, what we need is to be able to understand that we can get a decent sample size based on exposure 
to that particular creative. So what we do is we put a tag into the creative, the digital creative, it's served up to Luke, Luke's exposed to it. He might have three or four uh, uh, frequency. So he sees the ad three or four times over a period of time and then goes and books on a particular website. Um, that is direct correlation uh, attribution. But of course, there's gonna be times when you might be a destination and Luke has served three or four ads and then he goes and books on a, a, you know, an accommodation vendor's site that is not necessarily feeding back information into um, you know, the analysis that you're actually pulling. So we need to make sure we've got a decent sample size so we can extrapolate that out over the full time. Uh, and I wouldn't call it ROI, I'd probably call it return on advertiser spend because of course there are other factors that come in uh, when it comes to the return on investment. Well, we talk about a decent sample size. Um, you know, what what is a credible sample size? Because there's so many different data sets out there. You know, we know that when they do electoral polls, they're incredibly accurate, and their sample size is actually it's really small. It's it's five yeah. percent or less. What what is in your experience? What is a credible sample size? So, if you can get around the twenty-eight to thirty-two percent mark, I think that's quite good. I know that's that's probably larger than your, the polls that you're talking about there. Uh, but what we do there is we're looking at, okay, that is what an OTA is generally there or thereabouts, sort of in that, you know, that 25 to 32% range. When you look at the data vendors out there that have um, airlines across a jurisdiction, they generally have one airline uh, and probably two or three uh, chains of uh, accommodation vendors. So it starts to give you enough analysis there to be confident in the information you're getting back. It's when you only have, say, um, one uh, particular property in a, in a destination, that's not going to be enough information to say, okay, well, this is what we're actually effectively driving. Or even if you're in somewhere like the US and you're only getting information through from um, one airline chain, uh, given there's such a, a number of airlines over there, it's not gonna give you an accurate enough picture. So we need to have, and it's gonna differ by, I guess, population size um, and players in the market as well. New A, there's only one hotel. That's going to be fine, right? But anywhere else in the world, you're going to need uh, a greater sort of uh, sample size to be able to accurately get that analysis come through. And then, in, in terms of the of the the sources of the of the data, um, will that vary? I guess by source market. You know, if we're talking about international tourism, you know, you you might have an OTA player which is um, by far got the market share in I don't know India or Indonesia. Um, is, that, is that how you sort of target then the, the right sort of data sets? You look at each particular source market that your client is looking to attract? Absolutely. Is, is there Absolutely. a one-size-fits-all as well? Is there a one-size-fits-all? Is, is there any sort of data set that actually has got it for, you know, if I'm interested in attracting the Indonesian market, the, the Thai market, the Japan market, the China market, is there a magic set of data that kind of has it all covered? Unfortunately not, and the four markets oh, you just gave them are probably the most different out of all of them because right. um, just the sophistication levels, um, even things like access to uh, broadband or access to 4G. Uh, you look at somewhere like Indonesia, uh, rising middle class, 250 million people, but we're only starting to see the adoption of smartphones in the last sort of three to five years. Prior to that, it's it's been, you know, your sort of your stock standard, and not even Androids, but you know, your Nokias and things like that. So how do we make sure that uh, the data set we're pulling uh, is not only uh, accurate based on uh, the coverage of the OTA or the data vendor within that particular country, but also the access 
to that particular uh, uh, um, property, if you like, from the general population to make sure that the data coming through is going to be sufficient for you to meet. And you are going to have to work with different data partners in different parts of the world, and multinational brands do that all the time. Um, unfortunately, there is no one, one size fits all. Okay, is that is that is that part of the um, is that is, is that part of the service that Tourist Tracker then provides, helping people to unpick, you know, the the types of data which actually would be the most beneficial for them, because that that's because it, it is a, it is a minefield. I mean, there there is just so many different sources out there, and you know, who of us, unless we are an absolute data expert, which we're not, we're tourism experts, um, who of us knows which is the right piece of of, of data or data set which which we require is that is that is that actually kind of where you guys come in right yeah so so one of the things we do from a, an engagement perspective is um, it's a strategic approach where we look at who are the current customers based on what we have actually seen over the past 12 months because we see um, you know uh, about 13 month look back window what yeah. is your targeting strategy at the moment and where is the opportunity there to optimize based on what you think you should be targeting and what we really need to target based on building lookalikes of who's actually in consume the product and then how do we segment uh custom segment up those audiences to be able to activate on immediately so you've got that lowest hanging fruit so we're really bringing in that you know we understand who the audience is based on what the data is telling us not what you think or what we've been told uh how do we segment that up and then how do we overlay that with the intent data right now to make sure that we're putting your creative in front of the right user at the right time to get the best possible conversion. I really love that. The um, what you're sort of alluding to there is, you know, again, it's this, you know, we've seen the hashtag facts over fear when we're talking about data quite a lot, but it's facts over emotions as well. When you're a yeah. business owner, you know, like you were saying, you know, you feel that X, Y, and Z is happening, but actually the the, the data might be telling you a very different story, and actually the data is what you need to believe in because that's the stuff that's accurate, right? Absolutely, it's not lying to you. Yeah, love it. Um, Carolyn, at this point, I'd like to invite you up to join us um, and see if we've got any more questions from the audience, because I haven't had a chance to have a look. <laughs> oh, well, there is quite a few questions from the audience by the looks of it. <laughs> oh, can't hear you. Most people I to, normally I think to, that's I a good thing. one of those signs that you've got, Carolyn. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, my very high-tech, I can't hear you sign. But yeah. thankfully, um, Luke has lived up to his reputation as a, a data and a guru and not been had any of those technical problems so far. <laughs> um, I think another question on GDPR rules has come in um, from Nigel, and it's, do GDPR rules and regulations significantly restrict the ability for accurate data to be collected and used effectively, um, particularly people who are opting out? Um, for example, does that mean I'm unlikely ever to receive a, a truly tailored piece of communication? Uh, no, it, it hasn't. Uh, it hasn't sort of played out that way. That was one of the fears when GDPR came in because it had to be an opt-in. Um, but what you will notice if you go to a if you go to any airline's website right now, their terms and conditions state that they collect cookies and they'll use that for marketing purposes. Uh, you can opt out at that stage. We haven't seen the majority of people do that. There is a very slow or, or very minute opt-out rate. So what we found is that people who are actually continuing to opt in are generally your higher value customers. We're already weeding out what we don't want and what we don't need because people aren't interested in the product after their one consumption of it. So 
if you go to Singapore Airlines website um, and you look at their terms and conditions, you are opting in by doing a search. You are opting in by uh, making a booking. At any stage, you can opt out so that you can't be marketed to, but it's not been an issue where we've seen significant scale of the data collected having been sidelined because people have chosen to opt out. Okay, great. Um, I think I saw some numbers that even uh, uh, even only 15% of millennials opt out from any kind of list anywhere or any kind of cookie. So I think we've just really done that trade, haven't we, Luke, where we've kind of gone convenience over privacy. I wonder if that, do you think that will change with what's happening with privacy during COVID-19? Do you think that will be an issue? I don't think it will. And one of the things we're seeing right now is there's very much a content play, no matter who you are in the marketplace. So yeah. if you're an airline, there's a content play going on. If you're a, a, a masthead, a former newspaper masthead website, uh, there's obviously the content play there. And instead of buying content these days, we're actually trading it off and buying it with our data. So to be able to consume that, there has to be a way for that brand to basically make cash. And the way in which they're doing that is by utilizing it for marketing purposes. Now, you say the millennials only 15% opting out. They've never really had it any other way. They don't really mind that much. And there's, there's somewhat a, a theme of the belief out there that everything is out there anyway. So what does it matter? Um, mm. And I think we've put, I think GDPR is, you know, is a, a stringent law which enables privacy to be upheld because it's non-personally identifying it doesn't know that you're carolyn it just knows that you're profile x um, and essentially it knows that your behavior online has been y and that you know your declared information is this so that therefore we can target you in a non-personalized identifying way and i think everyone's fairly comfortable with that um, you do get people that will always be hypersensitive to it and want to opt out of everything and not be targeted for anything, that's their choice and they've got the opportunity to do that. What we need to focus on is those people who are keen to hear more from us, but they want to hear more from us about what they're interested in. They want advertising that is relevant to them. They don't want to be bombarded with ED or electronic direct mail, which is just a one size fits all every single day of the week just to keep the brand name out there. We've got to be strategic about how we utilize this. And I think if we do that, we're not going to see an issue with uh, a mass opt out of any data pools that we can actually target. And that actually comes very nice to segue into Karen's question, uh, who's our speaker next week, who's uh, on Thursday, who's on here. Well, she's saying she has the issue you raised, which is all of this data people collect and then they don't use it. Do you think that's a, is Australia better or worse at that? Or are we equally bad or good around the world at not personalizing or personalizing? Oh, look, pers the, the technologies there to be able to personalize have been there for you know, 15 years. We just need to become more efficient in doing it. Every marketer I kind of talk to, especially when we talk about how do we segment up the audience that we want to target and how do we make sure we personalize the creative that we deliver to them or how do we deliver the EDM that's, that's personalized to them, says yes, they want to be able to do it. If you see the surveys from every CMO that, that you know, multiple brands do each year, it's always personalization is big on my list. We've got to start crossing that off the list by actually doing it and doing it more effectively. Uh, we've got the tools out there to be able to do it. Yes, it takes a little bit more time. Yes, it takes a little bit of time to set up. And yes, it costs a little bit more to be able to do. 
But if we set this up and we set the infrastructure up in a way in which it can be always on and optimized as we go along, even as people's behaviors change and their values change and whatnot, we've set it up for life. Essentially, we can make sure we're engaging with that consumer over the lifetime that they can consume the product and give us the best possible opportunity for them to stay loyal to us. Loyalty is the last part of you know, the purchase funnel. You go through conversion, you can't stop there. Personalization moving forward from there is going to be key to make sure that we keep these people engaged with our brand. Fantastic, we've actually got someone who's saying, can you briefly explain programmatic advertising and how that's being applied at the moment? Sure, so programmatic advertising, and the best way to think about it is, um, in the same way you would buy stocks on a stock exchange, right? We have these things called uh, uh, DSPs. They're essentially um, a place where you can, it's a demand side platform. It's a place where you, know, you can buy inventory that is pumped in by websites from all across the world. What you can do at that point is actually wash data across the top of it. So you can utilize these technologies to understand a piece of inventory that's come up washed with the data that we're after. Okay, it's the target we want. I'm going to bid on that at the market-based price as you would do for a share. Um, and you can purchase that in real time at that price. In the most, you know, that's a very simplistic way of putting it, but that's kind of what we call programmatic advertising. It's just a way to buy dynamically, to wash your data sets over the top, to ensure you've got brand safety and viewability, and be able to buy at a market-based price. It's really good for always on-based activity and really good for you know, your performance-based activity, your lower funnel activity. I do hesitate to say that it should be utilized for everything. There is always going to be a place to buy premium content or buy advertising space next to premium content. But I do say that when you're buying premium content, you shouldn't be buying it as a whole on a sponsorship or a one-size-fits-all buying every piece of uh, imagery available within that premium content, you need to wash your data set over the top of it as well. So you wanna make sure that, that you're buying premium content with uh, the correct uh, target associated with that. Likewise, buying programmatic content, which is your performance-based activity, needs to be the right activity for you um, with the right imagery associated to it. So that therefore, it's got the opportunity to convert for you at the quickest possible rate. Great. Now, an even more start at the beginning type question here for you, Luke. So Guy said, I'm a tour guide specializing in private guided chauffeur tours. How do I get into the system and get and be included in that data that an airline or a hotel has on clients? Where do you start? What's your very first step? So there are a number, if you've got travel data out there, there are a number of um, players out there, uh, depending on where you are in the world. That He's will in New Zealand happily buy your data, right? So you've got Tourist Tracker, you've got um, uh, Adara, you've got Sojourn, uh, etc. This enables, uh, if you go to one of their websites, they actually have a form where you'll be able to um, essentially list in what your, um, your, uh, your website is. They'll be able to do some analysis on it. And basically the way in which that data is associated is that it gets added into the um, total co-op it's anonymized, it's able to then be utilized to target particular uh, travelers that particular region, and therefore you're able to sort of benefit off it that way. So the first point of call for anything is to go to one of these uh, data vendors, look onto their site, inquire in their form, and they'll be able to then point you in the right direction and how to be able to activate your data to make sure that not only you, but the region around you 
is getting the best possible um, opportunity to be able to target that consumer. Great. A question from John, who was our third presenter. We have um, quite a few lag indicators in terms of data, lead indicators that you find most useful. So uh, asking the, the, the lead indicators I find my, most useful when yeah. targeting? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, so it depends on what the product is, right? As I said before, if you're a hotel chain, you want to be looking at um, flight data. We know in well, the majority of the world, but I, I can give you the, the stats from Australia, that 69% of all hotel rooms are booked within uh, six hours of a flight being booked. So that's a great indicator that someone's in market for it. Um, if you're uh, um, a, an airline, say, uh, one thing we do know in my part of the world is that the search to book window starts about seven days out for a flight, but before the flight is booked, about two days prior to that, you start to see um, accommodation searches take place. Uh, that is a great indicator on where to get in if you really want to do low, you know, bottom of the funnel type performance-based marketing for an airline. That's when you want to start getting into the market. It really depends on what your product is. Car rentals, um, again, uh, the lead indicator for these traditionally is it's a bit like travel insurance. It's kind of the last thing you book when you when you travel. Um, it's either when you're at the airport before you take off or within the 24 hours before that. Duty-free or um, luxury brands tend to target people utilizing deterministic data sets um, when they're getting to the airport. So in the 24 hours leading up to that, because once you check in, you lose um, all rationale goes out your head and you start spending money like it's going out of fashion. That's why they all have a presence in duty-free. Um, but by having that deterministic data set, you can start to put your brand in front of those people because you know they're going to be at an airport in the next 24 hours. So it depends on what the product is to being the, what the lead indicator is going to be. But having said that, again, it's kind of what I was saying before when we start to determine what is going to be the best data set for us. We need to know what the product is based on who's consumed it previously and when they've purchased it and work backwards from there to figure out what data touch points we need. Brilliant. Now, question from Mark Matthew. Um, so lots of data can just be noise if it's not analysed. Um, is there a way for AI to minimise the effort of analysis or is it always going to require a skilled analyst to determine what's relevant? Um, which um, we've got quite a few small businesses on the line, Luke, assume would be a significant cost to a business. Yeah, of course. And, and yes, the answer is yes. Essentially, what you want to be able to do, and this is kind of what I alluded to before in the past, especially when it came to um, the dynamic creative optimization. If we utilize the right tools, we can set and forget. Essentially, what we want to be able to do is set it up and set it up robustly so that we can just leave it and effectively get on with our day-to-day -day business, which is obviously delivering our product, but our marketing is taken care of because we've got optimization algorithms that are learning as we go forward. Uh, we always, when we start going to market, I always recommend you have 80% optimizing always on, 20% uh, as, as just rotating throughout um, uh, the ecosystem, because what, what that allows us to do is understand that when there are geopolitical shifts or uh, economic downturns or whatever it might be, we are picking this up through the behavior of individuals and it's adding to our optimization algorithms or our AI to be able to therefore make sure that we're optimizing at a rapid rate as well to be sure that we don't get caught out. Okay, have you spotted any questions that I've missed, Jed, or that um, have come into you on the WhatsApp? 
Yeah, no, just um, there was there was another good one which which is is actually quite relevant at the moment. Is you know we're talking about the acquisition of data, um, and a lot of this is historic data. Given um, the the sort of the crisis that we've been through, the recovery changing hour by hour as well as day by day. Um, how do people know that the data that they've bought yesterday will be, you know, of value today? Yeah. So uh, the one thing I do is. Uh, look back 12 months. What, who was, who, who was the, the consumer that was converting the most out of the last 12 months? And by looking back 12 months, granted this downturn has been sharp and it's been sudden, but we start to remove those statistical anomalies that come out of it so that therefore um, we can start to look at the segmentation that we bought. Now, when you buy that segmentation or that data that's coming through, what you want to do is buy that from a vendor who's going to deliver it to you on a 24 hour cadence. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, they push you through the data set and it sits within the technical uh, technology platform, but it's refreshed daily. So that anyone that's purchased uh, or has converted uh, elsewhere is dropped out, but anyone new coming into um, the, the top of the funnel is being pushed through to you as a new target. So we have the ability to do that. It goes to the, that verification piece I was talking about earlier. It's great that you've got this bundle of profiles that are in market to travel to Melbourne, but if I start targeting them tomorrow, uh, will they have all travelled by tomorrow and come back at the end of the week when my campaign goes for the rest of the month? I need something that's being refreshed on a daily basis so that it can be activated in real time and so that we're getting the best possible outcome for our marketing dollars. Yep, makes sense. Um, any other questions that have come through? Carolyn, did we go through? I think we've got most, most of them. I think probably one just to, might get you to reconfirm, Luke. I think you've answered this, but the question, um, how, how can an individual hotel do this personalization or is it just something where it goes to one of the big brand chains? Because I think there's probably still a, you know, a lot of people who are very new to the world that you're talking about, not quite sure, well, can I really do this if I'm just a single hotel? Absolutely, you can. Um, and it might... It, it, when you think about it, it doesn't have to be personalized down to the nth degree. It could be simply knowing um, that your traveler is a business traveler as opposed to a leisure traveler. It could be knowing um, when they're arriving in market, as I said before. Um, it could be knowing that uh, there's, you know, there's a possibility uh, of it's a couple or a family or whatever it might be, and just having different sort of calls to action or different creative based on that. Um, that in itself is a fairly cheap process to do, but if you do that, you will start to see quicker engagement rates with uh, those potential customers, higher conversion rates, and especially if you can start to tap into the value of that particular customer as well, being able to offer them the product that you have that is best suited to their ability to pay is going to return dividends for you down the track because it means that your higher price product is not necessarily going to sit empty simply because an individual who can afford to pay for it or is traveling for business and has a, a, a travel and expense account and they're paying for it could have purchased it but they were only served um, information surrounding what the rack rate was for the standard room. Great. I, I wonder if it'd be possible for me to ask your opinion on something, Luke, because like uh, I'm sure many people on this call, I looked at those competitive images that you put up and I absolutely went like this and come and put my hands over my eyes, which is why is it that you think people keep using those very generic images that just 
I mean, one thing I know I do in focus groups is I'll often cover up the logo as you've done and said, okay, tell me who it is. And of course, I, I think you'd struggle. Why is it you think people still revert to this very generic style of imaging? Um, I think it's because everyone is so time poor today. And, you know, when you think about it, if you're a marketing manager or a brand manager, or if you're a single property, you've got so many things to do in your day that coming up with different creative or, or in a, ensuring that we've got a, a different creative for this campaign or this segment or that segment um, is just adding more to your plate. And that's kind of what I was saying before. We need to get to a position where we're prepared to put time aside and go, I'm going to set this up and I'm going to set it up properly because it's actually going to save me time and money in the long run if I do it correctly now. Um, it might be, and, and you know, those are those hotel images that I put up before. They were um, they were of, of major brands as well. Uh, you also get this directive of, um, you know, the creative has to be uh, approved by head office, but they don't understand the idiosyncrasies of a particular market or a particular segment. And we need to really empower people who work for us to be able to go out and do this because they're looking at the data, they're understanding what it's saying to them, and they want to personalize based on that. But if we've got an intrinsic belief that no, one size fits all and this has always worked, um, then we're never gonna to get to the point where we're firing on all cylinders. We need to be open to change, but at the same time, we need to let the data actually inform that change. Thank you. Uh, any more uh, questions that have come in on the WhatsApp? There's nothing else on the, the question panel no, or anything else. you want to add. Just, um, just on that, really, on because I was I was like you, Carolyn, when we were looking at the photos of the hotels in particular. Was one that's coming. Obviously, on the destinations, you are just thinking, how are they differentiating from each other? Because they are they do look all exactly the same. But on the hotels in particular, um, I find that fascinating. I've been spending a lot of time recently loading hotels onto my own website, and um, all of the photographs. You're absolutely right, Luke. That pretty much. It's all pretty much the same, yeah. And I know the hotels would be horrified at hearing that, but for the most part, you know, it, it's a bed. There's a side table. You know, it's 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 just generic. And for me, you know, I, I start to think that, you know, maybe, you know, we we have an opportunity. And certainly, the smaller guys have an opportunity to inject their personality a little bit more into their own unique brand and their ethos and talk about the you know their approach to you know the environment or anything else that kind of stuff is going to set you aside or the way in which your staff deal with the guests and look after the guests that sets you aside you know the pictures of the room yeah, I mean, God, it's just like, you know, I expect there to be a bed. I expect there to be a bathroom. That's the bare minimum. But isn't that the case with most hotels anyway? You know, how, how can we differentiate between any given hotel room? I've stayed in hundreds over the past year and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, p pick out one room over another as to what it looks like right now. It's insane. I, I, I actually still tell the tale um, of a regional New Australia trip I took where I was the fifth motel in a row and I woke up in the middle of the night and I actually had a panic attack because I didn't know where I was. Yeah. There was nothing in that room that said I'm in a place. Yeah, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Um, look, before, before we let you go, Luke, um, what's your advice for our audience as to, you know, your top sort of two or three takeaways um, that they can take away from this session to improve their, their marketing efforts moving forward um, so that they can have the best possible impact uh, with regards to data and the recovery. Yes, yeah, so, and it kind of goes, this kind of goes back to, to 
what I've been repeating throughout sort of even the questions that came through, right? Um, if we look at what everyone's telling us about coming out of COVID-19 hibernation and we need to embrace digital first narratives and we need to embrace technology, uh, what we need to really fuel that technology is the best possible data set. So if you go back to those three key points I said, transparency, understand what makes up the data set, understand uh, you know, where it comes from uh, and if it's relevant to your product, um, verify it, make sure that the data set is for the future, not the past. It's all well good to look at people who've traveled here and try and re-engage them, absolutely. But if we're trying to fill the top of the funnel and really starting to work on performance-based activity and sell our product now, we need to look at people who are interested in traveling in the near future. And then on top of that, make sure it's activated in real time. It's great if it's all verified and they're ready to travel, but if we can't get an ad in front of them before that to actually convince them and drive them to consider our product, then it's all gonna be a waste of time anyway. So transparency, verification, real-time activation, um, and just remember that what your data set, what you are after for your data set is not necessarily gonna be the data set that your competitors are using. And that's absolutely fine because you have your unique selling product and that's the emotional connection you're gonna have with your particular customer. So there you have it. Huge thanks again to Luke Duncan for sharing his insights in the audience Q&A this week. And if you haven't already done so, do have a listen to the keynote from this session in the previous episode also out now. That's all for now. Enjoy your day, stay safe, stay healthy, stay home. And don't forget that our content will always be free for everyone as we believe that travel is better without the crowds.